0: Welcome to the Why We Grow show, a place to tackle the big issues facing food and farming in New Zealand. I'm Chelsea Miller of Grassroots Media.
1: And I'm Daniel Ebb of Dirt Road Comms. Together, we'll hear from the outsiders, the alternative thinkers, and those doing the mahi right across our food and fibre system. Let's get to it.
0: today we welcome Chris to our podcast um, we're going to be talking about the vegans are coming which is the uh, title of this podcast Chris so uh, welcome and uh, yeah Dan and I are really looking forward to having this conversation around veganism and what you're up to in that advocacy space
2: yeah kia ora I'm really excited to um, have this conversation thank you guys so much for having me such an important conversation that you know um, we need to have this type of, um, you know, polite type of dialogue. We probably have different opinions, but this is something that really does need to happen. So thank you so much.
0: Yeah, no, and thank you for joining us. And we couldn't agree, agree more. That's why we're here. That's why we're doing this podcast. So it will be interesting to hear what our listeners say. But mm. hey, let's kick off. Um, we're really keen to know about your journey into veganism. You know, you, you've talked to us before about your story and how you've got to where you are today. So share a little bit about that for our listeners.
2: Yeah, so it's a bit of a long story. I'll try to keep it short, but basically um, I come from a, I uh, had a rural upbringing and um, I'm the youngest in my family and it was always my job to be looking after the animals. As soon as I'd wake up in the morning, it would be go and look after the animals, make sure all the chickens and the ducks and the dogs and cats and the pigs and the, you know, everyone was fed, make sure everyone's got water, et cetera. And I was homeschooled as well. Didn't have a whole lot of social interaction going on. So animals were kind of, you know, my friends from the very get go. And, um, you know, growing up rural, um, we tried to be self-sustainable at the time, you know, we were killing our own animals for consumption. So, you know, from the get-go, I viewed a lot of um, things that maybe others wouldn't see. And um, when it came to that, especially with our cows, when it came time to kill um, the two cows that we had, it just kind of triggered something in me. And I started to realize that, you know, these animals that I love so much, they're going to die and I I just realized you know there are so many other things that I could be eating and I associated those animals with the meat in the supermarket and I just decided on the spot right there that I was going to become a vegetarian and then um, a few years later I watched a documentary that's called Earthlings and it just shows um, really all of the horrific treatment that we as the human species um, are perpetuating against animals from Uh, production of animals and animal agriculture to animal testing uh, to entertainment and so yeah that's when I decided to go vegan.
0: Yeah I mean that I think adds a little bit of credibility to your story doesn't it because you've seen both sides of the equation and uh, like you mentioned earlier this is you know you want to have a polite conversation with us but hey we're willing to be challenged and we hope you're willing to be challenged as well. Absolutely. You know, why do you think it's controversial though for farmers and and advocates like us and then also like yourself to actually talk down and have this conversation? You know, why why is it so hard?
2: Yeah, well, you know, every time you talk about what you eat, um, people like to see it as a personal choice type of thing and um, vegans see it a little bit differently because we consider ourselves to be advocates on behalf of the animals. Um, so for us, it's not really a personal choice. For us, there is a victim involved in this scenario. And I can, you know, I do like to think that I have seen both sides of the coin. Um, I, you know, I, I believe I can sympathize with um, uh, people in the rural sector and farmers. This is their livelihood. This is their way of life. You know, we've been doing this for so long. And now suddenly we've got all these people saying that we need to stop eating animals because, you know, there's climate change and etc. And um, it's a complete shift into what is the status quo. So, you know, I totally understand why there is that division. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, we're all humans and we've got to exist in this society together. So I think it's really important that we try and focus on common ground, have some polite dialogue and try and find where we can agree and how we can move forward.
1: Nice, nice, Chris. I think before we sort of talk about the things we might disagree on let's let's talk about that common mm. ground a little bit more. Do you see okay. overlapping values, and it sounds like from your story, you could f- you, you understand and identify with the way that farmers might feel for their animals. Uh, mm. Do you see any similarities between um, that uh, sort of emotion that farmers will have for their animals and and, and the core values of, of veganism?
2: Oh, uh, yeah, I do. I've got a little story, if I can tell you about it, if you want. Um, when I was younger, um, I was helping a friend of mine dehorn his, um, I think they were beefies, but um, yeah, we were doing some dehorning. And when the animals were in the chute, um, they, started, they got a bit startled and frightened, and they started to back up onto each other, and they were climbing on top of each other. And there was one at the very bottom that was just getting crushed. And the farmer at the time, he started screaming, saying, stop, stop, stop. And he had tears in his eyes. And it was, you know, that, and I was actually a vegetarian at the time, but it was that moment that something kind of clicked for me. And I was like, you know what? Farmers really do care about their animals, you know. They're not trying to hurt animals. It's just we've, we've come with the with, with system where farmers have come to a point where they agree there is a certain point when an animal's life is going to end for the point of consumption. So, you know, I totally understand that animals love their animals. They try to give them the best life they can in most cases. You know, I've got some cases where that's not so. But I absolutely understand that animals, uh, farmers, sorry, love their animals. It's just that, you know, there is there's something about it where they think, okay, I'm going to give them a great life. But when time comes, it's okay. It's, it's moral for me to choose when that animal dies. And, you know, that's something I do disagree on. But I do understand that there, that there is that um, common love for animals. I mean, why would you get into this line of work if you didn't want to work with animals, you know?
1: Yeah, that's a really good point. Hmm.
2: So why
0: do you think veganism is is going mainstream? You know, we, uh, we've had a bit of chat around this millennial kind of viewpoint in the last couple yeah. of days, and uh, obviously all three of us sit in that camp as well. But... You know, is it, a, is it a millennial thing? Is it a generational thing? You know, why is it becoming a cultural force now?
2: Yeah, well, I think it's kind of a high-tech thing as well. It's, it's a bit of everything. You know, there's climate change coming. I think that's the main push. I would love to say that, you know, people are waking up and becoming more ethically uh, conscious with their consumer decisions, but I I do think it's a more... Uh, Understanding greenhouse gas emissions and the ecological destruction of animal agriculture, especially, um, you know, intensive animal agriculture, and uh, understanding that that's going to affect us. So now we have this aspect about it that is, oh, okay, this isn't just about the animals. This is also about my own well-being. This is about the well-being of the planet. Um, It's about the economic sustainability for a lot of people. Um, There's so many issues involved, but, you know, we're in the the age of uh, information sharing. And the science around the benefits of a plant-based diet is so clear. Mm-hmm. The, uh, you know, people are always talking that the nutritional profile and vegan food is inadequate, and that's just not true. And um, so yeah, there's just so many things coming together to make veganism and a plant-based diet um, you know, su- such a formidable force. And through the internet, we're all able to share it. And of course, there's all these emotional stories um about the poor treatment on farms so when that stuff gets shared around all of it coming together um, I'm not really surprised that it's become such a force.
0: Do you think the advancement of the internet and the use of social media has allowed uh, vegans to advocate more than maybe they have in the past whereas now if a farmer sticks the head up and says I'm doing a great job around animal husbandry you know they can get in there and share their opinion very quickly so I guess that makes farmers a little bit more timid to share their story.
2: Well I think it's a tool that works both ways for everyone Um, I think mostly when it comes to farming it's quite a you know uh, in the back rural area it's not it's, it's very out of sight for a reason I would say and I think you know back in the day when an animal is killed, you know, you normally take it out the back. It's a very, um, it's quite a private kind of matter. But nowadays with social media, everyone's sharing everything. When farmers try and share their side of the story, you know, I would say if they share the, the full picture, the full story, it's actually something people don't really want to see. But when it comes to veganism, it's a different story. We can share all sorts of things and it's normally um, taken on quite positively but for farmers, for them to share their whole story, it's a little bit different.
1: Yeah, I can understand that. I mean, the fact that these platforms have basically an inbuilt bias towards confrontation, uh, an inbuilt bias towards uh, conflict and hype, and it's a lot easier to share something that makes you angry than it is to for you to share something that makes you proud. Um, so I think to a degree, it's probably, certainly a, a, a platform trait, um, and it just feels like, and it's something you said right at the start, that this is a topic about identity, and people very quickly start to take you know, uh, veganism or meat-eating as a personal attack instead of mm. you know, a commentary, a commentary on, on an industrial food system. Really, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it feels like you know, if we've got this, uh, or these platforms that are set up for confrontation, it just feels like, you know, no pun intended, but it's, veganism is red meat for that. Um, that pun was
0: fully. Intended. It was fully
2: intended. <laughs> <laughs> it was well thought out. Well, I mean, um, oh, what was I going to say? Uh, well, yeah, it is built for confrontation, I suppose. I mean, it's so much easier to uh, give criticism online than it is in person, right? Hmm. So. You know, normally something that would be in the back paddock in the rural sector, killing an animal, for example. Um, there's no one there to criticize it normally. But online, when people understand that that's going on, of course they're going to be outspoken about it. I mean, you're taking some something's life who doesn't need to die. And there's all these people who are so incredibly, incredibly passionate about this and they see an easy avenue to uh, use their voice. And um, this is something that so many people are passionate about. Um, So, yeah, it's it's not a surprise to me. So, Chris, we talked right at the start about common
1: ground and overlapping values. And that gives me a a lot of confidence um, because there is a lot of common ground. um, And particularly if we start Mm. talking about using animals in a more ethical system and the fact that it's almost a little bit of an enemy of my enemy is my friend situation when we think about industrial food systems, because there's a lot of Kiwi farmers out there and, and most people who engage in our food system would say, that's unethical, it's you know, damaging for the environment, and it's, it's, it's the wrong way for us to farm. If we are going to use animals, we need to respect their dignity, and that just disrespects their dignity.
2: Hmm. Yeah, I would agree to an extent. I mean, I consider myself to be an abolitionist, so no amount of farming is uh, am I comfortable with. But, you know, we do have commonalities in wanting to get rid of things like intensive animal ag, factory farming, and um, I would be willing to work with people on that issue. However, um, you know, I'm always looking at the maximum amount of sustainability that we can produce for people. So the maximum amount of food that we can produce for food, in my opinion, is coming from plant-based products. And when people talk about regenerative ag, um, I don't see why there. I, I don't see why we should be killing the animals at the end of the day. I don't know why we can't just use regenerative ag the same way we use bees to pollinate um, our flowers. Mm. You know, why can't we have a herd of animals that you know goes around the country in the same way that animals would have naturally done? Um, you know, obviously not in New Zealand, but. Uh, let's say a bison in America you know they would have roamed the lands vast amounts of lands and they would have fertilized and trampled um, you know grasses into the ground and whatnot so you know I do see a way that we could work together in terms of um, regen ag but we would probably have a different opinion on how those animals lives should end at the end of the day
1: Chris, let's talk about um, a topic that I really am interested in, and that is the rise of flexitarianism and its yep. relationship to veganism. Um, oh, yeah. I, That's I, a good I, common I, ground, yeah. I, I like it, and, and I'll be the first to admit that I'm sort of a practicing
2: flexitarian. If mm. I, can say that.
1: I like to call myself a restaurantarian. If I go to a restaurant, I'll eat some meat. If I'm at home, plant-based.
2: Okay. Inter- interesting, yeah. Um, hey,
0: now it's it was puns, and now we're coining new terms. Is that going to be the new one?
2: What was it, restaurantarian?
1: Restaurantarian. <laughs> <laughs> it's my podcast. I can do what I want.
0: You <laughs> hear first, everyone. A restaurantarian.
2: Um, yeah. Well, do you want to hear my issue with that one? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, so you know, it's, you're going to a restaurant. You know, I don't know how much you'd be paying at this restaurant, but you know, it sounds like a quite a privileged lifestyle you know what i mean and so you you're going to this restaurant and you're choosing to consume a product that you don't need and um you know you're valuing your taste buds over the life of an animal and for me that's just something that i could never um get down with you know because i think the life of an animal is so precious and you in the position you are going to restaurants you have a moral obligation to be Um, you know making choices that are respecting that uh, that life and I just think that's so important
1: I think that's a very powerful argument it's it's hard for me to say that that's not true because at the end of the day Mm. it is Mm. Um, and I think that's where it starts getting into the identity thing because automatically I'm like I don't want to admit that I'm a bad person I think that's just innately inside all of us right
2: well, it's not that I'm trying to say you're a bad person, you know? I mean, I no, ate sure. meat and eggs and dairy for so many years of my life. You know, I'm not trying to say you're a bad person at all. I don't want you to get that, you know, impression.
1: I'm, I'm absolutely not. But so, but what I'm saying is I think that is a, a really rational, powerful argument. And that's why things like veganism, mm. vegetarianism, is becoming more adopted and, um, uh, a more viable way for us to sort of manifest our wokeness and our living more consciously because, and you're right, it does come down to privilege that when you're not trying to put food on the table and not worrying about where that next buck is coming from, Mm. you have the, the the mental capacity and economic capacity to think about what are my actions, how are my actions impacting other people around me, the environment that I live in and, and sentient beings that are involved in my food system.
2: Yeah, exactly, and you just said it much better than I tried to say it, <laughs> so well done. <laughs> but like, so, what, you know, say for example, if you were a hunter, um, I would take much less issue with that, but it's the people who choose to hunt and then also choose to go to the restaurants that I take issue with.
1: No, that's a fair point. That's a fair point. It's a powerful argument, and it's you know, and we won't talk about um, alternative proteins in a few more minutes as well, but I think that, to me, is, is there key pitch that right. it's a moral and ethical issue and this new type of technology effectively removes that, um, that, that inner conflict, you know, that um, the ambiguity for consumers.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Nice. So, let's, let's go back. Let's talk about flexitarianism a little bit. Okay. Um, so, what is
2: the relationship or is there a relationship between flexitarianism and veganism? Yeah, there absolutely is. And I love flexitarians. Um, I think they're great. I think they are the ones really pushing the growth of plant-based products. So we we as vegans have so much to thank when it comes to flexitarians. And I really dislike it when I hear vegans uh, um, bashing on people who don't go fully vegan. I really wish we wouldn't do that. I I understand that that turns a lot of people off and all of these amazing plant-based foods that are coming out wouldn't exist if it wasn't for flexitarians. But yeah, for a lot of vegans, they do see it as a kind of hypocritical standpoint because if anyone understands why we're vegan and why we choose to eat this way for sustainability reasons, for example, uh, if anyone's going to understand that, it's the flexitarians. So, you know there is that uh, that problem there, but absolutely, I completely uh, commend people who choose to become flexitarian, and I really do wish uh, vegans would get off their back a little bit. <laughs> do you, Do you think the right, that Do you
1: think that we wouldn't have flexitarians without the popularity and the cultural surge of veganism?
2: Oh, um, I don't know. Um, it's an interesting question. I don't know, because, you know, a lot of vegans and what vegans do turn people off. So who knows? Maybe we would see more flexitarians if it wasn't for the vegan movement. Um, but Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that has um, too strong of a relationship. Fair enough. Fair enough. Hmm.
0: Haven't we always been uh, flexitarians, though?
2: Yeah, that's, yeah, that's true. Yeah. I mean... We eat one. so much meat these days, so much more yeah. than what we used to be consuming. So I think it's just, you know, uh, a lot of people are making a lot of money off of selling animal products and that just became a big, big old business. And um, yeah.
1: I think in the, in the, you're absolutely right. It's in, you've got to put flexitarianism into context. You know, flexitarianism 100 years ago was just the norm. The but norm, now yeah. when we're sort of in a society that's kind of inundated with cheap crap meat, Mm. to actively say no i am going to consciously reduce my meat intake does put you into a box mm. in this case a flexitarian box or a restaurantarian box Restaurantarian, <laughs> yeah absolutely
0: <laughs> you keep pushing that one <laughs>
1: <laughs> i'm making <restauritarism> happen. hashtag
0: <laughs> yeah you watch this space <laughs>
1: So
0: right i'm uh, you know thinking about that kind of tech side of food now so thinking about the plastic plant-based alternatives that are coming onto the market, yep. uh, you know, how is this, how are these plant-based alternatives being received in your community? And, you know, wh- what are you guys saying about that cell-based, um, you know, those cell-based creations, I guess? Mm. And what do you think of insect protein? Good question.
2: Yeah, it's a great question. Um, So within the vegan community, uh, mixed opinions because, you know, like the Impossible Burger, um, animal testing was involved. So we've got a lot of people who are against Impossible Burgers. Um, Beyond meat, um, they purchase meat to, you know, contrast to compare with their product. Um, cell-based foods at the moment requires um, bovine fetal serum so it's absolutely not vegan and of course the amount of animal testing and um, the relationship that um, cell-based foods have with um, animal slaughter that's there as well so a lot of vegans are incredibly against these but um, for myself I think it's the absolute future and I think these things are necessary and um, yeah it's, it's a mixed bag but as a whole, I would say vegans in general, especially those that want to grow the vegan movement, approve of these things. Um, insects? I, I, don't, I don't know what the fascination is with insect protein. <laughs> um, I can see it working as part of a um, sustainable model where, for example, these insects were maybe fed uh, waste food you know, from horticulture and things like that. But in terms of a sustainability aspect, if we're looking at, totally maximizing uh, if we had you know ideal infrastructure for transporting and storing plant-based foods I don't see why we would go to farming insects when we can just farm plants Um, and I think it's a lot easier to sell the idea of eating plants rather than sell the idea of eating insects.
0: Yeah, you're not wrong there. I definitely have a hard time convincing my team to eat the chocolate spiders. I bought them for Christmas, but uh, <laughs> I I just want to go back a little bit to your uh, to this plant based alternatives space because. Mm. You mentioned that the you know the vegans, some vegans uh, are quite against the innovation that is happening in that space because of you know some animal products have been used and kind of the market validation or the testing or the creation yes. part of the product. But mm. you know if we are going to be innovative and we are going to try and use science to improve our diets, we have to do some market validation. We have to do some kind of comparison somewhere. We have to get an idea. I'm just wondering if we are to advance our diets mm. and you know, we do start to move into a more plant-based alternative um, but we're looking for different innovative products, you know, we still do need to use science and you know, the art of, of innovation to actually be able to test some of these products and make sure that they're safe and that they're comparable. But do you think we should be trying to create something like the Impossible Burger? You know, like a plant-based alternative to replace something that's already on the market. Like, why are we trying to create same for same? You know.
2: Yeah. Well, I wouldn't. I wouldn't call it same for same. If you look at you know the amount of land, the amount of water, and uh, greenhouse gas emissions, the trade-off is you know it's definitely looking better in the plant-based um, uh, space. But you know the reason why those products are being made is because they're familiar. We know how to cook with them. You know. Burgers, you know, such a culture around sandwiches and whatnot. So creating a little disc of protein to slide between those pieces of bread, it's just a part of our culture and what everybody is used to. And eating meat in general has become part of our culture. And so we're trying to find something that can replace it easily. Um, It's not going to be strange and different for people, you know, trying to get that familiar taste, the texture, the cooking quality, you know, the types of recipes we can put them into. But the reason why so many vegans are against um, this and don't allow things like testing on animals for the sake of innovation is because we do have just plants. We've got beans, you know, we've got the pulses and the the nuts and seeds and fruits and vegetables. That's already available to us. It's so much healthier. It's unprocessed. It doesn't uh, necessarily have to come in packaging. So that's where the frustration comes from, from the vegans. They just want everyone to just, you know, get on with eating what is already there for us you know that naturally comes out of the ground but because of this culture that we have of wanting to create that disc of protein to slide between those pieces of bread these things have become in my opinion something that is completely necessary to recreate in terms of a plant-based version
1: that's fair it all comes back to context
2: Mm.
1: nice um chris i want to talk a little bit more about sort of this cultural force and, and vegan as this kind of i like to use the term culture current and when I say that word, I like to think about things like, um, you know, Jay Z and Beyonce doing a twenty three day, oh yeah, vegan so experiment good. and launching a vegan delivery food system, and James Cameron mm. doing um, a movie on vegan super athletes. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, you, I take it you you've you feel that um, vegans and veganism is becoming cool, for want of
2: a better term. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I mean. It's hard for me to tell, right? Because I'm in this space and I'm always aware, potentially I'm in a bubble, you know, but so many people I talk to now don't even really drink cow's milk anymore. They're drinking, you know, soy milk and almond milk is no longer really considered a vegan food. You know what I mean? Like a mock meat, people usually think, oh yeah, that's a vegan food. But now plant-based milks, they've become their own thing. It's not really a strange vegan thing anymore. It's just a normal food that we see in supermarkets and there's such a wide range of it these days. Um, so, yeah, I totally feel that cultural um, force. I do think, um, you know, it is the cool thing to be doing. And um, a lot of people hate it when celebrities jump on that. It's like, oh, they're jumping on the vegan bandwagon just to get a bit of attention. But that's totally fine with me. The more people that are encouraging veganism, it's, it's all good with me. Fair enough. I kind of feel like we also need a cool story
1: for ag because I know we disagree on a few things. But what I think is cool is... Mm-hmm using animals in a regenerative system that uh, empowers people, builds communities, mm. uh, and enables us to fight climate change. I think that's a cool story, but mm. I've very few, very seldom in my life, have I been accused of being
2: cool. <laughs> uh, well, I, mean, I can imagine many people from within your community thinking that that's a great story, but, um, you know, I don't know if anyone has run the numbers in New Zealand of, uh, you know, the amount of profitability that we could be creating if farmers were to be switching over to plant-based foods, you know, so I don't think anyone has those numbers.
1: So we haven't got profitability numbers, but I can tell you that beef and lamb have done sort of a a geographic analysis and they deduce that about, only about 7% of land that's currently in sheep and beef production can actually be switched over to arable production. It's just basically because of mm -hmm. the topography of our country where you know really hilly and a lot of steep gorges here and there and and so it's sort of the the follow-on from that is that our agricultural productions um system is
2: is best suited to one to one of you know sheep and beef yeah and so everyone says you know that we've got to be using absolutely every little space of land uh to to produce something and that's something i disagree with i think Any area that's not suitable for farming it should be turned into conservation land. It should revert back to native bush, which we are so lacking in New Zealand. So, you know, I understand that argument, but if we look at all of the arable land that we have in New Zealand, all of the lowland areas that's been used for dairy farming and all of the crops that we're growing to feed to our factory farmed animals, I want to see the numbers of what's going to be more profitable, but, I, I, you know, that would be a lot, a lot of work.
1: Mm. I take it you'd also be you know, uncomfortable with
2: the, the urban sprawl that's happening, particularly south of Auckland and potentially... Oh, absolutely. I'm not um, an expert on that area, but I think it's absolutely ridiculous. I don't understand what's going on there. I think we need to be building up instead of out, and especially where we have fertile soil. Um, right yeah, it doesn't make any sense to me at all. More common ground. See? yeah, There we go. There we
0: go. <laughs> I'm nodding quietly in the background of both of your points uh, that you've just made, Chris. I agree with them wholeheartedly.
1: Oh, great. I I generally do think that we actually have more in common, you know, and and it's it's that spectrum and continuum that we talked about at the start that, Mm. and I think this is kind of gets to the heart of the issue that we have a social media and a media system that thrives on confrontation, and so we're always pitting ourselves against each other. It's the vegans versus the farmers, it's the carnivores versus the vegans, Um, but our values sit on this continuum. And it goes back to the story you told right at the start that farmers do love their animals. So when they, when they you know are, are exposed to some of this confrontational material, they think that's not me. I'm not the bad guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, it, and that's why I think this is such a difficult topic because everyone kind of thinks they're in the right. Um, and it's hard to actually reach across the aisle and say, you know what? to a degree maybe we're all in the right we've just got you know our our spectrums just stop at different points
2: yeah well at the end of the day vegans have a black and white view on how they want to see things but uh, with the growth of veganism you know we've got our little cliques everywhere you know farmers can stay in their farmer group vegans can stay in their vegan groups and so um, you know, I notice it myself when I spend time with my non-vegan friends, you know, I, I view things a little bit differently, you know, but, and now that we've got social media and everyone can uh, kind of become isolated and get caught in their own little bubbles, we, yeah, like you said, um, we all think that we are right and, you know, we, we do really um, lack uh, a diversity of opinions uh, and if we didn't have social media, if we didn't have these little clicks, potentially, you know, we would be a more mixed community and we would um, not see so much division. Mm. But yeah, it, it's very black and white for vegans at the end of the day. Um, but I do hope that we are able to somehow fix this division somehow because, yeah, it is really important that we move forward together. I'm not sure how we're going to get there, but I know it needs to happen because, um You know the reason why vegans are so passionate and upset is because there's an imbalance at the moment there's a huge imbalance and if we can find those common grounds that we disagree on say factory farming if we were to get rid of factory farming or let's say factory farming never even existed i don't know if the vegan movement would even exist to be honest i don't know if i myself would even be a vegan if factory farms didn't exist it's because of that imbalance that we've seen that's really upset so many people and created veganism. So you use this word imbalance, which I think is a is a pretty good term that I, I feel
1: like most people on any side of the food system would 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 potentially agree with. You know, I like to use the example of you pull into a BP and uh, you go up to the sandwich aisle or the sandwich the sandwich window and. There's like one or two vegetarian options, and everything else is meat. And we don't need to be eating meat at every meal. And we, we uh, that's demonstrated um, and quantified in some in the recent Eat Lancet report, whereby mm. we're under a lot of the um, food criteria, uh, food limits and parameters in order of um, how much we eat. You know, we're under most of them. We're under. Under the recommended amount for legumes, under the re- recommended amount for vegetables. Funnily enough, globally we're under the recommended amount for dairy. When it comes to meat, we're we're blowing through that limit by uh, a magnitude of five or six. So when you say, and don't quote me on that, but by an order of magnitude. Mm. So when you say that there's an imbalance, I, I I agree with that, and I think that's that's what gives the call to action for veganism, it's power because, you know, even if you're a farmer in Southland, you can probably admit that, yeah, we do eat too much meat and the, the system we've built to produce that meat necessitates environmental degradation. Mm. It necessitates, you know, grossly unethical treatment of, the, of, of animals. It's, 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 you know, and particularly in the States, it's literally putting antibiotics into our food system. Mm and so you know going back again to common ground i think most good kiwi farmers would agree with you that that's not what farming is mm, you're sounding like a vegan <laughs> it's
0: well practiced <laughs> well I, I think
1: you know there's a reason why it's it's taken hold and because it's it's a it's an innate truth and we're, we're struggling to find innate truths in this day and age because you know We're getting fed with a lot of information, sometimes misinformation, and Mm -hmm. we we cling on to the things that we inherently know are are right and good and just. And Mm -hmm. I can understand, I don't agree with it, but I can understand why veganism fits that bill for a lot of
2: people. Yeah, I mean, it's not a mystery to see how we got here. I mean, I didn't become a vegan because I didn't like the taste of bacon and cheese. You know what I mean? Like a bacon and cheese toasted, toasted sandwich. Oh my God. So good.
0: People um, <laughs> will be drooling right now. It's so
2: much. Carnival, mate. I know, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's not a surprise. I mean, it's not a surprise why people like to buy sugar, you know? I mean, so yeah, I'm not surprised that we got to this point. Um, but obviously, uh, things need to change. And um, I'm hoping you guys have a solution because you're inside that community. And um, I would love to try and help. Uh, if i can to try and restore a bit of this balance but yeah
1: nice i think we just we just we all agree that there's a there's an imbalance we might just disagree on what balance looks like
2: perhaps yeah
1: but it doesn't mean we can't work together
2: absolutely nice
0: so i guess uh, the last last question from us is where do we go from here? So obviously we are, you know you've you've made a pitch to us, Chris. You wanna work with us and, and the wider community, obviously. Um, you know, is it is it this regen ag? Well I think you've probably convinced us that no, that's that's not the case at this point, but you know, is it a land use change? Will there ever be this equilibrium? You know, what's Chris's perfect world?
2: Ooh, what's Chris's perfect world? Well, my version of a perfect world is probably something that's so far away from happening in the near future. I'm a big fan of um, permaculture, but, you know, we have an economy that's based around exporting food and uh, for largely expo- ex- exporting uh, privileged foods like red meat. Um, so, I would prefer New Zealand focused its economy around something that didn't involve importing and exporting resources. I wish uh, other countries uh, could do the same and I wish countries that had a abundance of resources, if they, you know, if they were to share those resources with other countries in need, that's great. But from a economic model, I don't think it's sensible for New Zealand to be, you know, we're a small Island nation and we're, basing our economy around resource-intensive models like um, dairy. Uh, I understand the red meat situation, the amount of lamb that we have. um, And, you know, as a vegan, it makes me uncomfortable to say it, but, you know, I would prefer that we got rid of the dairy industry and, you know, we had an economy that was based around the red meat industry, beef and lamb. I completely disagree with killing animals, and that's all good with, you know, we're going to disagree there, but... I would much rather see using the land that we have here in New Zealand, the low land and et cetera, that dairy farming is using largely, for that to be converted to uh, you know, conservation land. Um, I think if we were to focus a bit more on tourism, that would be wiser for New Zealand than exporting all of our products, um, all of our resources, uh, and really turning this country back into a place that it used to be used to be like you know we've lost so much of our wetlands we are degrading our waterways we're degrading our own reputation with a product that we're exporting for me that doesn't make sense but you know for the perfect world that i want to see that would be a complete economic shift you know i don't i don't even think we should all have jobs you know we're all working too much we're creating jobs that don't really need to exist to pay for bills that don't really need to exist so i mean My vision of a perfect world would be, uh, you know, short term, let's say something realistic, would be an economy based around um, technology, um, not exporting natural resources, looking after the resources that we do have in New Zealand, which is bringing in income, for example, tourism. And uh, if we were to be exporting food, then we need to make sure that 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 food is the most sustainable food that we can produce.
1: Well, wow, I think that's, your, your passion's very clear, Chris. And um, like I say, I think we probably have a lot of common ground in there, probably more common ground than what we disagree on. And, um, and I think that's what we wanted to achieve, to achieve today, is, is mm. to refresh this whole dialogue and say that we can be constructive, we can you know, politely disagree, but oh, yeah. at the end of the day, you know, we're Kiwis, we all love this place. Um, so let's so remember good. that first before we start getting into the mud. Absolutely. Yeah, I totally agree.
0: Well, that's been a fantastic interview, Chris. Thank you so much for joining us today. I am pretty sure we're going to get a fair bit of commentary from our audience around this interview. Good, um,
2: bring it on. <laughs> Hopefully, it starts start some important conversations, yeah. Thank you guys for having me. It's been great.
0: Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. It's about the important conversations and the ones that we, we need to have. So thank you for joining us. Uh, yeah, and good luck with your next uh, activist movement.
2: no worries thank you guys so much
0: well I think that was one really interesting interview with Chris he's clearly uh passionate about uh veganism and the vegan movement in New Zealand I mean he is such a leader in that space and probably the Southlanders are hating us right now and (laughs) (laughs) want to throw a few meat pies at us but um well maybe him actually uh, but, you know, he did he did bring up some valid points and I do agree with some of his points. You know, the intensive agriculture, it's something I've never agreed with and I think that is something we need to move away from and there are a lot of farmers who are wanting to move away from intensive agriculture. We, New things? Zealand doesn't need it and, you know, we've, we've talked to the likes of Dan Steele who is wanting to, uh, you know, improve the conservation on his farm and and that sort of thing as well And and I think Chris speaks the same message around that. Uh, he did make a really good point, though, around tourism. And, you know, he said, we, want, we need more tourism in New Zealand, you know, and, and less of this exporting of our meat and, and of our food products and things like that. But I wonder if he's thought about the carbon miles that comes with tourism, because, you know, if you think about that, and he's talking about his ethics around it's, you know, climate change with livestock versus plant... Well, actually, a very big contributor to climate change is Carbon Miles. You know, uh, hand up. I'm about to go and do that. But I do think there is pros and cons to that suggestion of his. Um, But he is a very pragmatic activist in this space.
1: Right on. Right on. Um, I'm really glad we got Chris on the show. I think we need to have more conversations like that because we do have a lot of common ground. And... Anything we can do to diffuse the conflict, not just in our food system but in society, I think, is a good thing. The thing I'm going to take away from from that talk is that veganism's here to stay. Like, you know, we can put our heads in the sand and we can live in our little filter bubbles, uh, and we can say that it's always been this way and we're always going to eat meat and we can just ignore it. That's that belittles. The justifiable um, value-based reasons why people go towards veganism, and it's happening in in a, a more marginal scale when we talk about flexitarians, and for really, really good reasons. And if we don't acknowledge those and 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 confront and change our change the parts of our system that are pushing people to exert more agency in their food system by adopting vegan lifestyles or by adopting flexitarian lifestyles, then we're not listening to our customers. And if you, a business and an organisation doesn't listen to its customers, it dies.
0: Exactly. It does not exist. It is the first and most important thing you need to be doing.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, from a sort of more selfish perspective, that's why we need to have more talks like this, because if we're going to walk into, you know, meetings with clients, we need to be listening to the culture currents and understanding why these trends are happening and and, and their root causes and their root reasons. And there is a lot of truth to the vegan argument. It's our job then to articulate our own truth and remove the pieces of our system that bias that truth.
0: And it's the transparency, right? We talked a lot about it. It's the information sharing. It's being transparent with what we're doing to a point, you know, there are parts of the story people don't want to share from both camps. Uh, But we do have to start that conversation and be brave enough to continue it. And I think that's probably, you know, the overall message is someone like Chris wants to work with the industry and you will disagree. I mean, you probably disagree with your your wife or your husband quite often, but you don't get all wound up about it a lot of the time. So, you know, there is an opportunity there. And I think you're right. We need to start listening. We need to take that opportunity and, and make it work. Right on. Thanks for listening to the Why We Grow Show. This podcast is a two-way show and we need your feedback. If you have follow-up questions or comments for our guests, we'd love to hear from you. Send them through via our website, www.thewywegrowshow.com or via Dan or myself on Twitter. We'll do our best to get them answered on air or via email.
1: And we're always on the lookout for more people or topics to cover. Let us know what big issue in food and farming you want answered or if you want to jump on the show yourself. You can support us to grow too by sharing the Why We Grow show with your mates. Keep at it out there and we'll see you next time.